Now, if you would stand and turn to Philippians, our scripture reading for today. Uh, in verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who would genuinely be concerned for your welfare. They all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor, such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. It is really funny to stand up here and see how the room fills up. If anybody on this side of the room ever feels cramped, there are seats over here. And I'm not aware of any contagious diseases over here. It is funny. I don't know if it's the coffee or the kids, but this side is packed. Um, all right, so we are starting the fifth and final of our five-week series through our core values Uh, Next week, we'll get back to our normal rhythm of just walking through books of the Bible. We will start Ruth, and we will continue with Ruth into Advent. I said this in the very beginning. Our hope in this series, it isn't just so that you would know where we're going as a church. Our hope is that you would understand deeply why why we make the decisions we make, why we do the things that we do. And so we've walked through these five core values. And then today we're finishing with our last core value of send our best. Send our best. And because we're kind of jumping around in this series through different teaching from different passages in the Bible, we've jumped into Philippians today. So I want to give a little bit of context for what's going on in chapter two, where, where this is all taking place. Paul is in Rome at this point. He's in house arrest. He, has, uh, he, he seems to have the feeling as you read this letter that things are going to go well, that he will get out, that he will be able to visit the Philippians at some point. Um, but clearly he has received this, he's received some gifts, he's received a message from them, and that has been delivered by this guy Epaphroditus. And so you kind of get the feeling, I don't, I don't know if this is accurate or not, but you have the feeling like the, the Philippians are sending Epaphroditus and saying, hey, if we give you him, could we have Timothy? <laughs> Can we make a little, little switch here? And I, I don't know if that's actually what's happening, but even if that is what's happening, there's no slight going on on Epaphroditus here. In Paul's words, he has nobody like Timothy. Timothy stands, stands out among all the people that Paul has at his disposal. 
So Paul writes the Philippians back. He addresses some of the issues that, that he's been written about and probably that Epaphroditus is telling him about. He, he tells them his plans to come and see them, but for right now, he's sending Epaphroditus back and he's keeping Timothy. And so he sends Epaphroditus with that letter and that letter is what we now know as the Philippians, the letter to the Philippians, what we have in our Bible. And I know that this isn't a slight to Epaphroditus because what he's doing here in our passage is really interesting. He's been teaching all these things. He's been saying all these things that, the Christ, that Christians should, should strive towards, that Christians should be. And then in our passage, he's lifting up Timothy and Epaphroditus as models of what he's teaching. So Paul is literally saying these are the best that we have and he's sending them. So you can see why we chose this passage when we want to talk about our core value of sending our best. One of my really good friends, uh, when he was in college at a large state university, he, he was kind of a who's who of, of men on campus. He was very influential in the Greek world. He was very influential in student government. He was runner-up uh, in, in a campus-wide election for the most popular guy on campus. He was unbelievably talented, talented, and you had this feeling that whatever it is that he chose to do, he was going to succeed. And so when the senior year came around, he looked at his options, and he decided he was going to go into full-time Christian ministry. And the sentiment among well-meaning, church-going people was, what a waste. What a waste. There's so much talent here, and he's going to go into ministry, and I started to kind of probe on this a little bit. And I think that the prevailing sentiment was you want average people to go into ministry. Right? We, we agree. We don't want our worst people to go into ministry. That wouldn't be good for anybody, but not our best, not our most talented. But what we see all throughout scripture and certainly in our passage here today flies in the face of that mentality. What scripture teaches is that we need to be praying and resourcing and sending the best among us. So I want to look at this passage. And I just really simply want to see who it is that we are to send out and why we send them. So who it is that we send out and why we send them. So first, who? Well, the who should be pretty obvious at this point. We want to send our best. We had an elder meeting last week and, uh, and I, was, I got a good laugh because we were talking about this core value of sending our best and one of our elders, Ted, looked over another elder and said, well, Chuck, I guess you're gone. <laughs> you're the best we got. And we laughed, and I, I certainly don't have like any feeling that the Lord is taking Chuck to an, another church or any of our elders at this point. But there was something about that comment that Ted made that really resonated with me, something that felt right, that we as a church need to be kind of gauging who it is who's here and looking for the best among us to be able to platform and Lord willing to send out. And this certainly, this goes against every growth model I, I think that you could find. That you want to take your best and you want to send them out. But that is what we see in the Bible. But before we can, before we can say why we send these people or where it is that we're sending these people, I, I think we need to really define these people. You know, who is them? Who are our best? And we see, I think, pretty clearly, we can, we can take a stab at who these people would be. When, uh, 
when I was on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ, they wanted to help us understand who it is that we would invest in. And so we all knew you invest in people who are faithful, available, and teachable. Everybody who's been around Campus Crusade, you remember faithful, available, teachable, faithful, available, teachable. And so that's in my mind, certainly, as I'm coming to this passage. But I think when we think about who our best are, who it is that we're to be actively praying for and sending, I'm going I'm to tweak that faithful, available, teachable just a little bit and say that what we see in our passage is faithful, available, and sacrificial. So let's break those down just a little bit. First, we have faithful. Now, faithful, it could encompass a lot. <laughs> but for our purposes in this passage, I think we can see that Timothy and Epaphroditus, they are faithful to the word of God and they are faithful to God's people. That's the first thing that, that makes them the best. So faithful to the word of God. Clearly, Timothy knew the word of God. I mean, he, we are told that he was taught from a very early age by his mother, by his grandmother, He spent at least 10 years by Paul's side being taught the word, being taught the scriptures. We have two whole books in the Bible that are nothing but Paul teaching Timothy. So we knew he knew the word. You know, I think about people, you know, who who are able to say, I studied under this scholar or "I, I apprenticed under this famous pastor. Well, Anything that we could say today is going to pale in comparison to what Timothy can say. He studied and apprenticed under the Apostle Paul. So the dude knew his scripture, but he didn't just know it. We see that he is faithful to it as well. Look at verse 22. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served me, and this is an important part, in the gospel. He has served me in the gospel. So he's not there to serve Paul primarily. He's not there to serve himself primarily. He's there to serve the gospel as it is proclaimed and recorded in the word of God. So Timothy, he could have, he could have had the hosting and hospitality capacities of, I don't know, Martha Stewart. He could have had the conversation abilities of David Letterman. He could have had the generosity of Bill Gates but without a faithfulness to God's word, he is not one of Paul's best. And I love how Paul communicates the degree of Timothy's faithfulness. He says it's as a son with a father. I don't know how many of you have heard the term the golden years in reference to children. These ages between, let's say, like four and ten-ish. When when the, the children are, are old enough to really play and interact, but they still think that dad can do no wrong. <laughs> you know, everything that dad does is right. A few years later, and they wonder if we can do anything right. But in this, in this season, dad does everything right. You know, if dad wants to play basketball, we're going to play basketball. If dad wants to fish, we're going to go fish. If dad likes golfing, we're going to golf. If dad likes to work in the yard, we might even enjoy working in the yard. And I have this really vivid memory of my oldest Turner when he was almost four. I was mowing the lawn back in Mississippi and he got his little lawn mower and he went back and forth behind me as long as his little body could carry him because he loved daddy and he wanted to serve with daddy. And this, this is the picture I think here that, that Paul has in mind of Timothy serving Paul 
and all the ways that Paul teaches and instructs his people from the word of God. So at the end of the day, it's not simply faithfulness to Paul. It's faithfulness to the word of God as taught to Timothy by Paul. So then it should come as no surprise, I think, that if Timothy is faithful to God's word, he's also faithful to God's people. Paul says in verse 20, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Now that's a pretty strong statement. There is nobody that Paul knows of who is going to be more concerned for the welfare of the Philippian church than Timothy. You know, if you... If you really believe that someone is for you, it's a game changer. I don't know how your dinner time goes down, but in, in my dinner time, if I tell one of my children to put the napkin in their lap, they're, pro- they're probably going to listen and put their napkin in the lap. But if one of my children tells one of their siblings to put their napkin in their lap, there's a pretty good chance that napkin's going to fly across the table. <laughs> so what's the difference? It's because they believe that I'm for them in a way they don't believe that about their siblings. You know, when we're for somebody, it changes everything. And it's not just Timothy that Paul is lifting up in this way. It's faithful to God's people. You see, Epaphroditus has the same quality. Epaphroditus got ill, and in verse 26, we see that as he was maybe on death's doorstep, his greatest concern was what? That people back in Philippi would worry about him. I mean, how unusual is that? We, are, we naturally want people's affections to be trained on us. You know, in, in our deepest, darkest, most sinful places, we might even enjoy the sympathy and affection that we get when we're sick. I, I knew a guy in college who faked cancer to be able to have that kind of affection. It's terrible. But not Epaphroditus. He was worried that his life-threatening illness would cause undue discomfort to the people back in Philippi. So why is it that this is so rare? You know, why is it that this quality that Timothy has and Epaphroditus has of being able to put other people's well-being at the forefront of what they want to do, why is that such a rare quality? Because we are naturally very selfish people who live in a culture that only fuels our selfishness. I was telling, I I told this story a few weeks ago at the Weekend to Remember conference, for those of you who were there, but I was traveling, maybe it was two years ago, I was in an airport, and I went to one of these um, travel stores in the airport, and I was looking around, and I saw something called a knee defender. And I don't know if you've ever heard of a knee defender, but you pay $21 and you buy this gadget that you can put in the chair in front of you and it prevents them from being able to recline. And it's your knee defender. So you can't tell me that we don't live in a selfish society and a culture that's wanting to fuel and, and make money off of our natural inclination to be selfish. So then you get Epaphroditus and Timothy and the quality that they have of being able to put other people's well-being ahead of themselves is a truly rare and, and special quality. I mean, if, if you don't believe that somebody has your best interest at hand, they can tell you the sky is blue and you're going to want to prove them wrong. But if you believe someone deeply cares about you and your well-being ahead of everything else, that person is able to tell you almost anything So it's not just a rare quality to care for God's people. It's a powerful tool in the arsenal of the church. 
there's one pastor that I respect a lot. When he, he, he said that when he sees someone beginning to try and take initiative in the church, he quickly has to figure out whose well-being are you out for at this point? Are you somebody I need to begin to give influence to? Or are you somebody I need to lock away until you learn how to care about the, in, the well-being of others ahead of yourself? And so I was thinking this week, like, how, how can I gauge how I'm doing, <laughs> you know, at... at caring about the well-being of other people? How can you gauge? How are you doing it? Caring for God's people. And I think one diagnostic, if you want it, would be, are you a person who's prone to see strife follow you? Or are you a person who's prone to squelch strife around you? Does strife increase or is it reduced when you're around? All right, so that's faithful. That's the first quality. Secondly, available. This word send is used four times in our passage. So yeah, I think you know, inherent in the word send is some measure of availability. <laughs> you have to be available to be able to send to go anywhere. But the question is, in what ways specifically were Timothy and Epaphroditus available? And I'm going to utilize Alistair Begg here. Who, uh, who points out three ways that, that Epaphroditus and Timothy were uniquely available that makes them the best that Paul has to be able to send out to churches and surrounding areas. So three ways they're available. First, they were available to Jesus. Look at verse 19 and see how it is that Paul hopes to send Timothy. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. So, if you hope to send somebody outside of the Lord Jesus, that's a different type of sending. That's a different type of availability because your postman is available to the post. Your Uber driver is available to the pedestrian. Your ambulance is available to the hurting. But the best in the church are available to Jesus Christ. And apparently Timothy is in this whole other category in his availability to Jesus because Paul says in verses 20 and 21, for I have no one like him, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. And I know it can seem, I, I've, well, the first time I read this, I was thinking, well, all right, you sound serious about sending Paul, but it sounds like you're hoarding Timothy. <laughs> so is that kind of the opposite of sending? And I don't think that's what's going on. It seems clear that there's a problem in Philippi. We don't know exactly what it is. It could be the situation in chapter one where people are preaching the gospel for their own selfish ambition. It could be some unique pastoral issue in the church in Rome that Paul is unable to minister to because he's in house arrest Whatever the issue is, though, he needs to send Timothy locally. There's something that he needs Timothy to do beyond just keep him comfortable while he's in prison. And so he's sending Timothy locally. He's sending Epaphroditus back. But both Timothy and Epaphroditus, they're sent because primarily, or first and foremost, they are available to Jesus. Secondly, they're available to the Lord's servant. Paul calls Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. So you have these three titles of ascending honor. And then with that ascending honor, ascending workload, and obviously there's an ascending availability. So he says, you're, you're my brother, which is, you know, I guess, you know, it, that doesn't take a lot to be somebody's brother in the church. You just need to believe and be male. <laughs> but then you get to fellow worker. 
then that requires a little bit more. I mean, you're going to have to be laboring together. You're going to have to be praying together, ministering to people's needs together. And then he goes on to say, my fellow soldier. A soldier means that Epaphroditus was somebody who was available to him in a crisis. And any of you who have had to step in in a crisis, you know that the time that it takes to help people who are in crisis is much more significant. And so what we can infer here is that Epaphroditus, he wasn't just available to Jesus. He was available to Paul. He was available to the Lord's servant. And if that wasn't already enough, we have verse 30. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. And in English, that can kind of sound like a a shot to the Philippians. I don't think that it's meant to. Paul's saying something akin to, if there was any question about your service to me, you certainly answered it by sending Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was freed up. He was available to minister to the Lord's servant. And then thirdly, they were available to the Lord's people. So at a minimum, these two are carrying letters from city to city around ancient, the ancient Roman Empire. I'm going to talk more about this in a minute, but we can, I mean, it takes a while back then. You know, it would take a while to get to different places, to take these letters. And I think it's worth noting, because we're talking about availability, it's not just free time. You know, free time is not simply, I think, what Paul is gauging when he, when he picks somebody to carry these letters back and forth. He's assuming that they're, he knows that they're available and they're reliable. I can remember sitting in high school, in Boone High School, in English, and the teacher said, is anybody available to run a message to the office? <laughs> My hand was like the first up. There's a long pause, and she just kept looking. <laughs> is anyone else available to take this message to the office? Because she knew I was available, but I wasn't necessarily reliable. You know, you're available, in essence, to what you love, okay? And I, at that moment, I loved getting out of class. <laughs> I wanted to do something else, and who knew what I would do once I get, got out of that door? But Epaphroditus and Timothy, they're available and they're reliable. And one commentator went so far as to say, if you aren't available to the Lord's people, then you aren't available to the Lord. So we send those who are faithful, we send those who are available, and then finally, we send those who are sacrificial. I mean, these men, both of these men were willing to sacrifice no matter what it meant that the message of Jesus Christ would go forward. I mean, even with the the Roman roads, even with the Roman peace, Going from city to city was no guaranteed venture. You didn't know who you would meet. You could get sick along the way, which is what it seems like happened to Epaphroditus. Paul writes in verse 30, for he he nearly died for the work of Christ. And then Timothy, my goodness, dude got circumcised as an adult to make inroads with the Jews. I don't think anybody can doubt Epaphroditus and Timothy's level of sacrifice, their willingness to sacrifice to see the gospel of Jesus Christ go forward. But when we talk about sacrifices, I think we really need to understand that sacrifice can come from different places. So you have such a thing as pride-motivated sacrifice, And then you have humility 
humble, motivated sacrifice. And those are two very different things with two very different outcomes. Because pride, sacrifice motivated by pride, is going to want the world to see what we've done. We're going to want people to... We're going to want our children to see and the people to see. And we're going to want God to see. Look at what I've done. Look at what I've sacrificed. And at the end of the day, this kind of sacrifice, it only draws wedges between people. Because when the sacrificer doesn't get the affirmation that he or she thinks that he should have, they should have, this person is either going to want to lash out or they're going to want to draw away. Because the people around them don't merit the sacrifice that they're giving. But then you have this humility-motivated sacrifice. This is something totally different. This is the kind of sacrifice that says, I believe there is something bigger out there. There's something more important to me. And if I can come along that cause, I will sacrifice whatever it takes to be able to advance that mission or that person. And this kind of sacrifice is going to unite people. Are we motivated by sacrifice, in our sacrifice, are we motivated by pride or are we motivated by humility? And here's a little test to see which one we are. If we're motivated by pride, there will be division around us and the sacrifice is always going to seem greater than it really is. But if we're motivated by humility, the sacrifice is always going to seem smaller than it really is. And I have every reason to believe that Timothy and Epaphroditus, they were motivated out of a humility because they knew the degree to which Jesus had suffered and sacrificed for them what they had gotten, the kingdom they had been brought into. And so they could turn around and do the same for others. So Timothy and Epaphroditus, they're examples of the people we send because they're faithful, they're available, they're sacrificial. Now we get to look at why it is that we send these kind of people. We send our best because we want the kingdom to be strengthened and expanded both inside these walls and outside these walls. I'm going to say that one more time. We send our best because we want the kingdom to be strengthened and expanded both inside these walls and outside these walls. And we we can see that this is Paul's motivation. Paul cared about nothing more than Jesus Christ and his kingdom expanding. And he says in our passage that he will be less anxious knowing that Epaphroditus is back with the Philippians. And he will be cheered one day when he can send Timothy to go be with them as well. Paul knows that for the kingdom to be strengthened, churches need to be strong. And for churches need to, be, to be strong, the best need to be sent. That's why we send our best. And to flesh out what this looks like, I want to divide sending into two categories. Sending outside of our context and sending inside of our context. So first, outside of our context. This kind of sending is hard. I mean, sending... It probably in any scenario is hard. I have to think it's extra, you know, you look at ancient Rome and it was obviously even harder because when you sent people back in that day and age, you did not know if you'd see them again. You didn't know if you'd ever hear from them again. I have to think Timothy and Epaphroditus, they would, they would chuckle on our, our sending today. You know, we, they might say things like, oh, there's not strong internet connection where you're going 
Can't, can't FaceTime every day. I'm so sorry. Uh, was your flight long? Was it a long flight to get to where you're going? Or was, was it delayed? Oh, that's the worst. We all have our crosses to bear. But I don't care how technologically advanced a society gets. Sending will always be hard because it's hard to see your friends go. It's really hard. And at a church like ours, where you have seminary students, you have college students, you have international students, we have missionaries coming in and out. It's hard to do the heavy lifting of getting to know people who we know are ultimately going to be sent. It's hard if you are that kind of person who you think your time here is limited because you'll be sent to emotionally invest where you are. I heard one pastor describe it as trying to hug a parade. (laughs) Just when the float gets there and you get your arms around it, it's time to either let go or go with them. But this is our challenge and our opportunity to steward. John Piper was challenged some years ago by a member who said, Dr. Piper, why do we invest all this time and energy into college students who are just here today and gone tomorrow? And he said, because they're here today and gone tomorrow. There is an an extra stewardship of those types of people. So at a church like OGC, we need to be encouraged when we see people who probably aren't going to be here in a few years to not disengage, not withhold our hearts and our relationships from them, but to engage even more because those are our best. And if you're here and you are the kind of person who will be sent, my challenge to you is don't withhold the blessing from this church of being able to know you well, to open up relationally, to pray for you, and to send you out the way you deserve to be sent out. When I first began talking to the elders of OGC probably about two years ago about being the pastor in this church. I was struck very, very early on as I was learning about Orlando Grace Church. I was struck by the missional footprint that this church has for its size in other contexts. I mean, it really is remarkable just to look at the past 10 years and see what this church has sent. I mean, right now, there are 12 households overseas in other countries doing gospel-centered ministries in Japan, Chad, East Asia, Hungary, Italy, and England. There are three households doing gospel ministry in the United States, but targeting very specific unreached people groups who happen to congregate here. In the past 10 years, we... Our our members have planted seven churches and replanted five. That's phenomenal. And in the past 10 years, we have sent nearly 30 RTS students out from us. This is really phenomenal for a church this size to have that happen in in just 10 years. So what we want to do, we want to keep the gas pedal down on this kind of sending outside of our context. But while we do that, we want to add another type of sending, sending within our context. So going forward, our desire at Orlando Grace Church starting in 2020 is that there would never be a year where we are not actively planting or replanting a church in Florida. There would not be a single year. And this would have been a pipe dream a year ago 
But now that we're joining the Acts 29 network, we're automatically in collaboration with other churches who are like ours trying to do the same thing. So now we have the Millers that we've sent to, from our church to South Florida, and we also have a church plant that we're beginning to, to pray for and leaders of the church plants that we're beginning to train and resource in both Leesburg and Apopka. So we really believe that we can be marked by sending in our context by planting and replanting in perpetuity for the rest of the life of this church. But there's one more part of sending that is really important to understand. We are going to send our best to do things like overseas ministry, church planting, reaching unreached people groups. But we have to understand that just by virtue of following Jesus and claiming him as Lord, we are all sent people. We are all going to be sent. We are sent to our workplaces. We're sent to our families. We're sent to our classrooms. We're sent to our kids and our stepkids and our grandkids. We are sent to our gyms, to our golf courses, to our cycling clubs. We are all a sent people. And we have to understand that at our core, if we're ever going to be able to successfully send our best. But the question is, do we really see that? Because if we ever become a church that sees sending as primarily something we send RTS grads to go do somewhere else, then we've missed the boat completely. We have to understand that we are all sent. We're all sent in different ways. And when we realize that, we are going to be able to better identify the best among us to be able to send out of our context. And when all of these things happen together, the kingdom is strengthened and expanded both inside these walls and outside these walls. You know, it's hard. It's hard to be this kind of church. We're going to be stretched. We're going to be hurt. But in this process, we are going to have an opportunity to see clearly the one who was sent for us. So if we ever think of the comforts that we would give up, whether it's just talking to somebody in the workplace or actually going to another location, we can be comforted by the the far greater comforts that Jesus Christ left to come here. If we're ever tempted to really think about the hardships that we might encounter, we can be comforted by the hardships that Jesus encountered. If we're ever really daunted or intimidated by the cost that being sent is going to accrue, we can be comforted that not even the cost of his own life was too much for his glory to be displayed and our souls to be brought into the kingdom. So there is a real gospel impact in our own hearts when we are actively involved in identifying and sending our best. So I started by telling you about my friend. My friend who had so much talent, it was just such a waste to see that talent go to Christian ministry. Well, my friend's name is David Robbins. And uh, David, I probably would not be in in full-time ministry if not for the influence uh, of him in my life. He has gone on to lead uh, ministries in some of the hardest places in the world. And now he's president and CEO of Family Life, 
uh, a ministry that touches millions with the gospel every year, a ministry, incidentally, that is relocating to Orlando, so you may get to meet David. But I look at him and I say, praise God. Praise God, you chose this way to be sent. Because when we look out in our midst and we see giftings and opportunities and experiences that aren't being leveraged for the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's when we need to look out and say, what a waste. We want to be a church that sends our best. And so my... My plea to you, as it has been every one of these weeks, would be, would you pray with us to that end? You know, all of our plans are nothing if it's not bathed in prayer and powered by the grace of God. So would you, as we finish the series on our, course, on our core values, would you go online, if you haven't already, get the core values, put them in some way in your life, in your car, in your mirror, somewhere in your Bible, that you will be reminded of what it is that we're trying to see happen here at Orlando Grace Church. And would you pray daily that that thing would be more true, that value would be more true today than it was yesterday. So with that in mind, would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much that we are a church that you have designed to be gathered so that we can scatter, that you give us gifts, that you give grace to us, that those gifts might be used powerfully to strengthen and expand your kingdom. And I pray this morning for, for all of us that we would have a heart to discern the best among us, which takes so much humility, but that we would be able to recognize gifts and platform those gifts and send those gifts out. And I pray specifically for people among us who who might be that person wrestling with this kind of call in their life, that that they would feel the affirmation and the blessing that I think you intend when you send us out. And I pray that all of us, all of us this morning would feel a great burden to be sent in some way and that that the the where would be clear we would know clearly where it is that that we are sent and God that you would use us powerfully to that end we thank you we love you we pray all of this in the power of the Holy Spirit and the the name of Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior amen